We are going to finish this morning our study in the book of Ruth. Uh, we've been in Ruth for about four weeks. So we're going to, excuse me, we're going to finish up today. And then next Sunday we're going to be starting a new series uh, in uh, Thessalonians. So just if you want to be reading ahead, you can go ahead and be reading through the book of First Thessalonians. Some of you know that I am a lifelong fan of the Boston Celtics. Now, for those of you who don't follow professional sports, the Boston Celtics are a professional basketball team that is located in Boston, okay? Uh, The Celtics recently set out to acquire a player from the Cleveland Cavaliers. They wanted to get Kyrie Irving, who's a one of the best point guards in the NBA. He's played alongside LeBron James for, for three years. And they wanted to trade to get Kyrie Irving on their team. But in order to trade for him, they had to give up two, three players, two starters, uh, another young player, and then two future draft picks. So they had to give up five players, in a sense, to get this other player to come and to be a part of their team. Now that seems kind of lopsided, and I think it kind of was, but I'm going to get into my feelings about sports right now. Um, It it cost them five players to get one. But they made the trade because that's how much value they placed on Kyrie Irving. They said, we want this much that we're willing to pay this cost to get you to come and to be a part of our team. Uh, Today, what we're going to think about is what cost God was willing to pay to make us uh, a part of his family. And we're going to think about not only the cost he was willing to pay, but why he was willing to pay it and what effect that ought to have uh, in our hearts and in our lives. So we're going to get at this through Ruth 4, but I know all of you haven't been with us through through the entirety of this series. So if you're not familiar with Ruth Let me kind of set this up for you before I actually read the passage here. Uh, The book of Ruth is about a a woman, well, it's about a woman named Ruth, obviously. But it's about a a man named Elimelech who journeys to Moab with his wife, Naomi. Uh, They leave the country of Israel to go to Moab because there's a famine there. When they get to Moab, uh, Elimelech dies. He has two sons, and they marry Moabite wives, And then his two sons die. And so Naomi is left there with her two daughters-in-law. She hears that there's food in Israel again. And so she decides to go back. And Ruth, one of her daughters-in-law, goes back with her. Now, when they get back, the famine is lifted, but they've still got to get food somehow. And so there were Old Testament laws that allowed those in poverty to go into the field and basically glean. You could take the, the leftovers that the farmers didn't get on the first swipe and you could pick around the edges of the field. And so Ruth goes and does this. And she just so happens to wind up in the field of a man named Boaz who just so happens to be what the Old Testament called a kinsman redeemer. Now, what's a kinsman redeemer? A kinsman redeemer is a relative who was responsible for coming to the aid of a family member when they got into a tight spot. Uh, If a family member had to sell themselves into slavery for economic reasons, a kinsman redeemer could come and buy them back. Or if a family member had to sell their property for economic reasons, the kinsman redeemer could come along and buy that property back. Land was a 
very big deal because uh, it was uh, having that land remain in the family was actually a sign of God's blessing on the family, so that was a big deal. The other custom that's at, at play in some form in the book of Ruth that's very strange to us is the custom of Leverite marriage. Now, what's that? Uh, if a husband died without children, his brother was responsible for taking the widow as his wife uh, with the hope that she would bear a son who would then carry on the deceased man's name and who would also inherit the family property when that, when that time came. Now, and we don't know all the ins and outs of this and how exactly it worked, but those two things seem to be at play in Ruth. The idea of a kinsman redeemer and this idea of Leverite marriage. So, Ruth gleans in the fields. She comes home with a bunch of food. Naomi finds out whose fields she's been working in. And she says, oh, Boaz is one of our redeemers. This may be the solution to our economic problems. This may be the solution to me finding a husband for you. So last week we saw this in Ruth chapter 3. Naomi sends Ruth to Boaz at night. She meets him on the threshing floor. And she says to him, spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. Which is basically a way of saying, fulfill your duty as a redeemer and marry me. Take me as your wife. And Boaz is flattered by this. Ruth is much younger than him. And he says to her, I am a redeemer. But there is a redeemer nearer than I. Evidently, there was a kind of a, a pecking order of the family, however this worked. There's a redeemer closer to her. And so Boaz says, if, I'd love to redeem you, but, but, but that guy comes first. So if, if he'll redeem you, then, then fine, and you guys will be taken care of. If not, then I'll step in and do this. You with me? Okay. Read chapter 4. This is God's word. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and to Malon. 
Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers, and from the gate of his native place, you are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Epaphrath and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a store of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A father has been born to Naomi. Excuse me, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amenadab. Amenadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. All right, let's pray. Father, you've given us uh, your word, and uh, we know things that, that all things in Scripture are not equally clear. Uh, but I pray that you would make this part clear enough to us uh, to be helpful to us and encouraging to us uh, and to point us to Jesus, our Redeemer. And we pray in his name. Amen. So, Boaz says, I'm, I'm going to go settle this matter. And he heads to the, to the city gate, which is, you know, think courthouse, uh, city hall. It's where they took care of this type of business. So he heads to the city gate. He sees the other guy who's the redeemer coming by. And, he, and, and the ESV says he calls out to him, hey, friend. Uh, really, in Hebrew, he's, it's saying something like Mr. So-and-so. Like, they don't even want to tell us his name. Oh, here comes Mr. So-and-so. So Boaz cries out to Mr. So-and-so. He says, come over here and sit down with the elders, and, and, and we need to work this out. And he tells her that Naomi, and this is really the first we've heard this in Ruth, but that Naomi is selling land that had belonged to her husband, Elimelech. And he says to the Redeemer, so if you will buy it and redeem it, do that. If not, then, then I'm going to do this. Now, again, there's something, Ruthie, we don't know all the ins and outs of, but, but either Naomi is selling land to get money to live on because of her poverty, and she wants the Redeemer to buy it so that it will stay in the family. Or it may have been that, that Elimelech had actually already sold this land, and she wants the Redeemer to buy this back again to, to keep it in the family. But in any event, Mr. So-and-so is interested. This sounds like a, a good business deal to him. And the reason it sounds like a good deal to him is because Ruth hasn't been mentioned yet. And what's going to happen here is that because Naomi is, is probably past the age of childbearing, he's going to take this land into his family. And ordinarily, if, if he had had a child by the woman who he brought in to be his wife, that land would go to her son. 
to, to kind of have Elimelech's name. But that's not going to happen here. And so what he's probably thinking is, oh, there's going to be no new heir for this land. And this is going to be more land that's going to stay in my part of the family. And so this seems like a pretty good deal to him. But then Boaz says, not so fast, uh, Mr. So-and-so. He kind of throws him a curveball here. And he says, actually, when you redeem the land, you're redeeming Ruth also. Like this, this is a package deal because you've got to perpetuate Elimelech's name. And so you need to bear a son by Ruth. And then that son is actually going to have this land and keep this land in Elimelech's family line. And suddenly, Mr. So-and-so isn't that interested in this proposition anymore. Because now he's got two mouths to feed. Um, Now he's going to take this land, but he's really not going to keep this land in his immediate family. It'll wind up going to somebody else. Now, I know this is all really complicated, um, and I'm not sure I understand it myself, uh, to be honest. But, but, but think if you're playing Monopoly and somebody says, I want to, I'm going to give you Boardwalk and Park Place. And you say, okay, that's great. And they say, by the way, it's mortgaged. And when you pay off the debt, I get it back. Okay? I don't know if that's really what happened. But, but it's, a, it's an example of what looked like a good deal. And then suddenly you heard the rest of them. You said, that's not such a good deal. I'm, I'm not sure if that's really going to work out for me. Mr. So-and-so has decided, I'm, I'm really not going to make money on this deal. So I'm, I'm going to pass. Boaz says, I'm willing to pay whatever it costs, even if in the long run I don't really get anything out of this financially, I'm willing to pay whatever it costs to take care of this, to provide for Naomi, to redeem the land, um, to, to marry Ruth. And what I want us to see from this, from that, the, all of that, is that redemption involves paying a cost. There's a price involved in redeeming something. A redeemer, when he pays the price to redeem you, that cost him something. That cost him something. He, he absorbs the cost to redeem you himself. He bears it himself. Boaz does this. He's willing to do this. Why? I mean, really, when it gets down to it for him, you can tell from the whole story, it's really about Ruth to him. He wants to be a good guy and, and take care of Naomi and all this, but it's really about having Ruth uh, as his bride. And he's willing to pay the price to make sure that he becomes, that she becomes his bride. Now, okay, great. Uh, so what? What, is, what does that have to do with, with us or, or anything, really? I think what we have here in this story is, is kind of a, a story of what the whole Bible is about, in a way. It's a story of what the whole Bible is about. Because the whole Bible is about God paying the cost to redeem a people for himself. Um, there's a cost to that. There's a cost to God redeeming us. Uh, in, in honor of football season started starting yesterday or this week uh, imagine that, that your team lost the big game now what happens when your team loses the big game somebody's got to be blamed like people are going to call Ryan Clary and they're, they're going to want to blame somebody give me a reason for why this happened somebody's got to take the blame 
Uh, it, it was the, it, maybe it was the quarterback who three, threw three interceptions, or it was the running back who fumbled, or it was the wide receiver who ran the wrong route, or it was the linebacker's coach who didn't have the guys in the right formation, or it was the field goal kicker who kicked it wide right, or it was the coach who called that stupid trick play at the wrong time. But, but somebody has to take the hit for that, right? Somebody's going to have to own that. Somebody's going to have to pay the price. To redeem us, to rescue us, to rescue us, someone has to take the hit for us. The gospel is about Jesus Christ taking the hit in order to redeem us. Now you say, well, well what hit? Why is anybody taking a hit in the first place? Uh, according to the Bible, we, you and I are not just lucky mud that's the result of lightning striking some amino acids 18 billion years ago. But we are actually men and women who are made in the very image of God. And that's why we have dignity. Really, that's the only basis for human rights and for human dignity. But, that, but that's another discussion. We're made in the image of God. And so there's, there's a greatness that comes with that. But we're also made by God. We are, his, we are His creation. He is the Creator. And so we're subject to Him and we're responsible to Him to live in the way that He says to live. But we've collectively kind of said, nah, there, there are better ways to do this. I really don't want anybody telling me what to do. I don't need some God in the sky telling me what to do. I can figure out what I need to do myself. And the Bible calls this sin. It calls it rebellion. And the result of this is death, uh, physical, spiritual, eternal death. Uh, my wife Susan's been reading a book called Being Mortal about how various parts of our bodies break down as we age. And it sounds like it's a really depressing book, so don't read it. But, but it just, oh, it's a good book, she says. So, so read it if you don't, okay, never mind. Um, but, but it shows you, I think, it shows you the, the, the wages of sin. In the physical sense, why do our bodies break down? Because of sin. Um, there is a physical and spiritual deterioration that really would, will go on forever uh, if something doesn't arrest that. That's what Jesus comes to do. He comes to do something about that. To take the hit for that. To take the hit for our sin so that we don't have to. Let me, let me read some passages that point us to this. This is from Ephesians 2. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Uh, Romans 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption, is the word, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or a, a sacrifice of atonement by his blood to be received by faith. First uh, Peter 2. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds 
you have been healed. Well, like Boaz, Jesus was willing to pay the cost involved in redemption. Jesus took the hit. And, and so the scripture is able to say to us now, whoever believes in Jesus, whoever finds shelter and rest in what he has done will not perish, will not have to take the hit themselves, but instead will have eternal life. This is a broken world. We could, we could list numerous examples, and, and you and I are broken people. Some of us are better at covering it up than others, but, but we're all broken people. And because we're all broken people, we're all looking for redemption. We're all looking for redemption. Some of us are trying to, to find it by proving to our parents, look, look what I did, you always doubted me. Uh, it, my family watched Parks and Rec the other night where, where Amy Poehler, she's, she's, she's wanting to turn this pit into a park and she's going to have her first press conference to announce that to everybody and she, she desperately wants her mom, even though her mom's going to mock her and ridicule her, she still wants her mom to come and to see her give her first press conference. Look, Mom, I can do this. And so we try to find a measure of redemption in that way. We try to find a measure of redemption in who we marry or in who we date or in who likes us. We try to find redemption through success or through money or through just being religious and going to church. And all these things are really false redeemers because these false redeemers want us to work for our own redemption. And Boaz is pointing us to a Redeemer who will work for you. A Redeemer who, like Boaz, is willing to do the work necessary to purchase your redemption. That Redeemer is Jesus. Well, second thing in this text, um, we see the purpose of redemption. Why did Boaz do it? All right. Why is he willing to take all of this on? I mean, it's, it's for Ruth, really. There's all this other stuff involved. But at the end of the day, he's doing this for Ruth. He's willing to do what he has to do to make Ruth his bride. Why did Jesus do what he did? He did it because he had his eyes on a bride. He wanted to make us his bride. Uh, Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Uh, Revelation 19 Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Revelation 21, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride for her husband. Why did did Jesus pay this cost? It's because he had his eyes on a bride. He had his eyes on a bride. He willingly gave up his life to secure and purify for himself a bride. Uh, I heard the story recently of a a soldier in Afghanistan who saw a little Afghani girl who was about to be plowed over by a convoy of trucks coming through. And he, like you see in the movies, he dove to get her out of the way and, and lost his life 
doing that. Uh, you've probably heard stories coming out of Houston. Uh, one I heard this week of a woman who literally drowned as her three-year-old clung to her, as that, as that mom kept her child alive. You know, that, that soldier had his eyes on that child and saving her. That mom had her eyes on her daughter and saving us. The cross shows us that Jesus had his eyes set on his bride. And I'm going to do what I have to do to keep my bride from drowning. I'm going to do what I have to do to to push my bride out of the way. The cross shows us that Jesus had his eyes set on his bride, even though we weren't beautiful. And we weren't cute like little children. Uh, we We weren't even godly. There was, there was nothing attractive in us. But Jesus willingly paid the price, the redemption price, to make us his own. Uh, secondly, and, and to go in a little bit deeper waters, and, and you can think about this later, Jesus didn't just make redemption possible. But Jesus actually accomplished redemption. Jesus shed his blood for his bride to secure the salvation of his bride. Uh, Ephesians 5, Christ gave himself up for the church. Acts 20, 28, God has obtained the church, not just made salvation possible, but he's obtained the church with his own blood. And that church for whom Jesus died is made up of particular individuals whom Jesus died to rescue John 10, 15, Jesus says, I lay down my life for my sheep. I lay down my life for my sheep. John 6, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. See, when when Jesus died to save you, He didn't die just to make salvation a theoretical possibility. He died to redeem you. And faith or believing in Jesus is not you just adding a few dollars to the salvation project, to the salvation transaction. Faith is believing and resting in what Jesus has already accomplished on your behalf for you. You can't accomplish your own salvation. You can't add to it. You can't take anything away from it. You can only receive and rest in the work that Jesus has done. Now, the third thing about this. Uh, Philippians 1.6 He who began a good work in you might decide to complete it. No, will be faithful to complete it. Can you, can you imagine how liberating and transforming it would be to us if we believed that God is at work in us getting us ready for our wedding day. Like this this is what God is doing in our lives. If if I believe that in the hard things of life what Jesus is doing is that he is preparing me for the marriage supper of the lamb. You know there there may be people in your life who feel like thorns right now. Uh, maybe I feel like one to you right now. But there may be people in your life who feel like thorns right now. Maybe, you're, maybe your spouse feels like a thorn to you right now. What if I believe that God is using those difficult people in my life 
to finish what he started. And that he's using the difficulties of my life to make me holy, to, to finish the good work that he started. Um, a, a couple of weeks ago, we, our family watched Father of the Bride, the old Steve Martin 80s movie, um, which I, I still don't know why we watched that the weekend before my daughter went to college. That was a little too much for me. But, but um, Father of the Bride, for those of you who don't know this, was a great movie in 1986, and now it's pretty mediocre. Um, so, so kids, I just want you to know that 25 years from now, all the movies that you like are not going to be any good. Um, so just enjoy it. Anyway, what jumps out at you from that movie, and what it's all about is the chaos leading up to that wedding. It, it's just, it's just a, it's all a wreck. All right? The whole thing is a wreck. The whole thing is messy. It's messy getting them ready for that wedding. It's messy getting us as a church ready for our wedding. We're a mess. We're a mess that tanning beds and diets can't take care of, all right? You, you, you can't pretty us up uh, easily for that day. It takes a lot of work. But Jesus is committed to doing that work. He's committed to making us beautiful because we're his bride. And what if I believe that in the midst of the hard stuff of life, that Jesus is at work purifying me and sanctifying me and preparing me for my wedding day. Well, the last thing quickly here, uh, what's the result of this redemption? Uh, it, it brings blessing. Uh, Naomi, who at the beginning of the book is described as bitter and empty, now holds in her arms someone who is who said will be to her a nourisher of life, a restorer of life and a nourisher. Blessing, fullness has come to this one who is, who is empty uh, in this child. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, I think it was, who said when a young man knocks on the door of a brothel, he's actually looking for God. Uh, St. Augustine, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. There is this gnawing emptiness in each one of our souls that can be only be filled with knowing Christ. And we can't fill that with good works. We can't fill that with church attendance. We can't fill that with having the right theology. We can only fill that with knowing Christ. And in knowing Him is, is how God fills that gnawing emptiness inside each one of us and brings us from a place of emptiness to place of fullness. And then finally here, redemption brings fruit. What's the, the, the fruit of the union between Boaz and Ruth is a child. And that child, we're told, is going to be the ancestor, actually, of King David, who is the ancestor of another child, King Jesus. And when you and I come into union with King Jesus, the result of that is fruit in our lives. Um, Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. You know, we're always trying to work those things up. How can I be more like this? And the scripture tells us that it comes through our spiritual union with Christ. It says we come into union with Christ that fruit is produced in our life, fruit that's glorifying to God, and fruit that's 
good for the people around us. We need a Redeemer who paid the cost to make us His bride so that we might bear fruit. We have that in Jesus. We have that in Jesus. What, what are you doing with that? Let me pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the way that uh, Boaz's redemption of Ruth points us to Jesus' redemption uh, of us. Uh, Father, even though we, we try at times, it seems like, to try to, to work our own redemption, we know that only comes in Christ. So teach us and help us to rest in Christ and to run to Him and to throw ourselves in His arms uh, and to bear good fruit. We ask in His name. Amen.